the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 470. We're coming at you from Shenzhen in China. Now, a big special thanks to our partners, Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP and Samsung. These are the companies that are standing behind the New Zealand Tech Podcast, making the show possible and, of course, continuing to support the tech sector in New Zealand. So thanks for all your support and assistance. And this week, very pleased to introduce to our Shenzhen show two guests from Australia, excuse the accents, Jason Murray and Daniel Tyson. Welcome along, guys. G'day. 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 Yeah, yeah, no, it's basically... to put that, on the real thick Australian. Yeah, Australian. Uh, no, that's actually, it's actually how we have to um, legally agree to appear on every podcast that we join if we're the Australians, is we have to say g'day. How's it going? G'day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have to say g'day and how are you going? Yeah. Um, maybe a quick intro from each of you of where you fit into this big wide world of tech and, and media before we uh, jump in. Sure. Generally uh, in a box by the door. Um, somewhere somewhere discarded and off to the side. Uh, so I write for an Australian website called Ausdroid. Um, we cover all things Android and googly and uh, do you know, a lot of uh, a lot of phone reviews and news and I've got I've got too many review devices basically. <laughs> And I write for EFTM, which is everything for the man. Um, so we cover a lot of tech, a lot of phones, cars, anything, anything. You, if you're a man or a woman, uh, you can basically find it there. So yeah, it's a great site, EFTM.com. Nice, nice. All right, well, uh, let's uh, let's jump in now. While we've been here in uh, Shenzhen, we've been at Oppo Inno Day, which is. It's been an interesting uh, little event, hasn't it? I think it's the first time they've run this particular uh, event. And in fact, it was their first time in six years uh, that the founder and, uh, and, and CEO had... Uh, Tony got off on stage and gave a speech, which was pretty rare, apparently. So Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was quite, quite well-spoken as well, actually. He said that if he, he has... hadn't said that he hadn't spoken in six years, yeah. I would not have picked it because he actually was really good. So... Impressions of the uh, the the event? Can I can I actually just say that I'm actually really impressed that uh, they've managed to run Inno Day over two days. It's it a, wasn't it's a bad a, one, but it's a one day event that they've managed to stretch out to two days. But in terms well, of the announcements at the Inno Day, like seven billion US dollars was announced in R and D over three years. I mean, that's a lot of cash. Well, we've, I guess for uh, and and it varies according to you know where you are in the world and and so on in terms of how much. I guess market share hmm. and mind share that Oppo has had. Looking from the New Zealand side, they probably haven't had as much uh, presence as in hmm. Australia, where you know I know for for you know quite a long stretch they've certainly dominated um, Huawei in terms of you know mar- market share. Uh, you know the the, the last uh, I guess you know six months has has probably. Um, Im- Im- impacted. Uh, it's probably uh, held Oppo's or, case or, or, a little bit. <laughs> Um, but you know, for me, it's really been a brand that's it's only really started getting you know initially a little bit of attention in probably the last two years, mm. and it's been you know slowly growing. So quite interesting to come here and actually get a, you know some some closer insights into this 
you know, I, I guess in, in New Zealand, I've thought of them a little bit as a little smartphone company. Uh, but then you come to China. And where, you see some scale. You know, <laughs> you know, you've got a billion people and it's like, okay, so... You know they they might be what you know position three or four in the in the in the market here at any uh, given time, but you know that means uh, that they have basically hundreds of millions of handsets. Uh, you know in the in the hands of customers. It was telling at the because we visited the flagship store last night and they said something like four hundred and sixty thousand Oppo stores exist. We all looked at each other, of which two hundred and sixty thousand are in China. Yeah, so, I guess that 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 must be retailers that you know that stock their product rather than. I'm like, not sure. I, I, I couldn't get it to clarify, but yeah, if yeah, that's, if, I would think. So, I have that. noticed a lot of Oppo stores. Whether they're just someone throwing an Oppo name on the front of the building, or I think I think they're Oppo branded, but they're not necessarily Oppo owned stores. But also, this coming from Australia, so we've had Oppo for what four or five years or mm. so in Australia now, and so when they started. They were very, very happy about getting their phones placed on desks in 35 JB Hi-Fi stores around the country. And then we go to China and they're like, yeah, no, we've got like 200,000 stores. Like, you're happy with 35 in Australia. All right, you got to start somewhere. But um, so we've seen them go from just a direct retail model in Australia to actually being... Uh, Available friend, on friends carriers with carriers, and yeah. stuff, yeah. And that, like, that's where you really start to shift volume, at least uh, in, in Australia. I don't know how it is with uh, New Zealand sales, but you know, you, people are less willing to go out and buy a, buy a handset outright still, but they will, they'll shift much, much higher volumes on carriers if carriers are saying, hey, get on a plan and we'll give you this phone uh, cheap. At that point, people, some people don't necessarily care what phone they get. And they're like, oh, I've got this Oppo. It's it's a new thing. I haven't heard of it before. It's got a nice camera. It looks kind of like an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. So th- I've been thinking thinking of um, of the company and their, their success. Um, I mean, it seems to be an interesting story. They, they started out not, certainly not as a smartphone company doing, you know, varying... Um, audio products, some reasonably high-end products. As my, I did have an Oppo DVD player. <laughs> did you? Yes. <laughs> I had so completely it, forgotten about so it until an old what, roommate reminded me. Is this what people might, you know, if you ask someone, oh, you've got a you know, DVD player, it's a Chinese brand, mm. you can imagine some natural assumptions about... Actually, it's, quite, it's quite unlikely that people had Oppo DVD players because they're actually quite high-end equipment. That's it. They're not mm. bargain basement stuff. Yeah. You actually AV had to equipment is really expensive. get them from a hi-fi store. They yeah. weren't available in the big box department stores. So it was actually, for some reason, I apparently chose an Oppo. Yeah. They obviously were, were yeah, very capable in that, in that space. But they've, they've gone through an interesting transition. This is part of what we were, what we were hearing about. So they've sort of dropped those, those products, some of which you know, reasonably high-end um, products, and moved into the smartphones, and then they've they've worked their way up there to you know, quite a big market share uh, in China, which means quite a big you know, market share overall globally, uh, and obviously been growing in, in markets like New Zealand and, and and Australia since then. I'm always kind of curious around the, these stories of how companies get from nothing to to being really. Um, dominant any thoughts on why they've achieved the sort of success they have in in australia i mean part of it's got to be a you know a, a price play because they're they're more uh, competitively priced than uh you know uh, america you know apple product 
um, the Korean product in terms of Samsung. So there's a bang for buck element to it. What what else do you think? It's also tenacity, um, which is part of the Chinese ethic. Uh, but also they've got a good CEO like Michael Tran, who's been leading Oppo Australia, has been really instrumental in, in getting some of the, the ideas that are fundamental to the Australian market like NFC on phones. Whereas the Chinese market relies heavily on QR codes, the Australian market and probably the New Zealand markets has a lot of tap and pay and we're using our phones we're, for we're, it. We're one of the world's leading markets for tap and pay yeah so, so yeah. the introduction of that sort of thing is and having someone who understands that difference between the chinese and the australian market has has been one of the the drivers for it so i think it's it's people and also part of the chinese ethic of, of really just sticking the course here's our aim we want to be in the australian market or we want to be in the new zealand market and they've really pushed and they kept at it so they may have been at a loss for, for the first year or so but well, i don't know i have no insight into that but they basically stuck at it and they've slowly gained those 35 stores in JB and which has expanded to all the JB stores and they've done that sort of thing. So I think tenacity and, and knowing the market or having someone who understands the market. They've... Um, oh, you, you actually you actually covered off what I was going to say at the end of it. Like they've long been known as providing bang for buck. They, they do great hardware. There's... You, you'll always find a, an Oppo phone has a little bit more RAM and maybe a little bit more storage than others at the same price point. And so people feel like they're getting bang for buck out of their phones. They often, they often, I think Oppo has said for a long time that they don't really have any premium aspirations. I think that's changed a little bit with the Reno series. I also think Oppo is sort of starting to get out of the, the lower mid-range end of the market because they've got other sub-brands now. They've got Realme. And so... They're free to sort of they're free to position the company as a higher end a higher end company, and with this massive investment in R and D, like they're they're trying to now focus the company on providing services in AI, becoming a leader in five G, and so like they're really trying to move themselves into becoming a technology leader rather than just a phone manufacturer. Yeah, I think that that was probably the thing that stood out for me at the at the keynote is. Yeah, they start. They started out with the you know varying products that they had. They ditched most of those to become focused on smartphones, but now they're realising that you can't just you know necessarily do uh, do one thing to uh, I guess have the sort of future that they're looking for in terms of growth. Mm-hmm. So you know they're they're talking about. Um, yeah, routers for, for home. So, yeah, the intelligent connectivity was the, the phrase they used, that's and that's why. where, yeah, yeah. so they, yeah, they're bringing in the, like the CPE, so the, the custom <laughs> premises equipment, um, which is the router, and that's going to support all their IoT, which then obviously gives them a route into the IoT market, so they can start talking about bringing out a smartwatch and their smart earphones and stuff like that. So, yeah, there was that certain, yeah, yeah that talk of smartwatches, hmm. the smart sort of earphones or earbuds. Uh, and then something that was a sort of semi-announcement, um, because they haven't announced a, a launch date though, was the Oppo um, augmented reality mm. um, glasses, AR glass, which to me looked quite similar to um, Microsoft HoloLens in terms of its sort of you know, styling. Not not exactly the same, of course. But apparently the, the we did have a go of it and the uh, <laughs> demonstrators were strictly instructed not to make any comparison style lens, <laughs> which was rather interesting. Yeah, um, but the, yeah, this is mm. quite a big, a big change and... It seems, you know, you guys, uh, well, we talked about the, um, was it $7 billion mm. uh, 
was that US? US dollars, uh, yeah. US dollars. So you know, New Zealand, Australia, north of north of ten billion over over mm. three years, which is is quite a mind blowing number for. You know, just just about you know anybody to uh, to think about. Well, so Oppo Oppo's headquarters in uh, in Shenzhen here has moved into one of one of the most prestigious new buildings on the skyline. It's uh, we can they call it the bamboo shoot, and we saw it in the video at the beginning. We did, yes. For those, those who were watching, I know most of our audience is listening, but you can go to the Facebook page and see the video. So, so Oppo's headquarters there. They've got a lot of space to fill. I, I don't, I I'm don't not sure they've got too many floors in there. It's a pretty expensive <laughs> building you, to have floor space. I got, well, they know when you have any floors they have. A few floors and there's... there's I, I heard a few, but also, did you see any other people who weren't Oppo employees walking around the building? I didn't. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, think they've, I think they've got a lot of space to fill in there. And I think moving... So their, their headquarters used to be closer to the factory where we went yesterday. And they've moved it into the heart of the city now. And I think... That sort of goes to their aspirations of becoming more of a technology leader. There's going to be people who are working on AI. There's going to be people working on on 5G connectivity and all their IoT devices in that building, rather than sort of out in the in the manufacturing stuff, where it's, which is where a lot of the other companies are headquartered. OnePlus is out that way as well, and so. I think you know it's it's all it's all part of the image that you want to put forward. You got to spend some money to make some money. Oppo's definitely been throwing a bit of money around lately. Relocating into that building is you know it's it's a power move for them really. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true. And and look, I mean, Shenzhen in general is is a pretty incredible place in terms of you know what goes on within the broader the broader area. It's a very um, adoptive sort of city with the high tech stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it gets referred to this broader area gets referred to as like the Silicon Valley of mm. um, of China. In fact, they call it the uh, is it the Bay Area? There's mm. a slight variation on that, but yeah. it sounds a little bit like very San Francisco. You've got DJI here mm. who. I mean, I think DJI are a real example of what uh, Chinese brands can achieve. And oh, yeah. It wasn't that many years ago. You, th- you thought of China and you know, innovation was not what, you know, the thing that came to mind. So you know, for, for Oppo to be headlining the event, calling mm. it Inno Day or Innovation Day, uh, you know, speaks to really that... Mm. Yeah, this is another company like Huawei, like DJI, um, you know, and there are others uh, who really are working hard to, uh, you know, to, mm. to be real leaders in their, in, their, in their field. Now, of course, there are some political things going on behind the scenes and whatnot. You don't know how those things will mm. necessarily, um, you know, pl- play, play out. But, I mean, yeah, it's certainly fascinating. You know, if you want to find a drone, that, you know, chances are... Uh, there's a pretty high chance you're going to be buying uh, if you want from, a good one from, anyway from, <laughs> you're probably going to be hitting uh, a DJI a Chinese brand right yeah. and um, yeah well, didn't nine, we see about 10,000 drones in, ten, in 20 minutes as we walked through the markets yesterday there were there were there a, a couple of DJI's as well not, mean, not many DJI's actually in that, I'm not sure I'd be buying premium, one of the uh, premium <laughs> unbranded ones yeah yeah uh, but I mean, DJI just yeah they've really mm. dominated the market globally haven't they so absolutely and I think that's really a taste of what we're likely to see mm. in other technology fields, if we if we were to be able to look out ten years, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty you know fascinating landscape in terms of the brands and products we're using. Um, not not to say that um, that you know, the American companies you know, can't uh, you know continue succeeding and so on, but they're going to have to work a lot harder 
and you look at the I guess the the, the dollars and cents you know for those uh, Chinese companies that are investing that mm-hmm. you know even though the overheads sort of seem to keep rising here uh, yeah they they're going to get more bang for their buck I, I would imagine on a on a on a research dollar. Uh, compared to probably a lot of other places in the world, put it put it that way. I mean, especially you. And we may start seeing some of these U.S. companies starting to announce their plans for the next three years and how much they're going to spend as well. So yeah, they might kick off a trend of R and D R and D budget forecasting into the future. A lot of uh, research scientists rubbing their hands gleefully. <laughs> I, I actually think it, I think it's, it's really interesting. Like there was a, an analyst on stage who was asked what's going to happen over the next few years. He said, "I don't know. If I knew, I wouldn't be here." But it is like this space is very open at the moment like we don't know what's going to happen in the u.s like we don't know if trump's going to get another term if he does we don't know what's going to happen to u.s china relations um huawei has announced that the mate 30 pro has no u.s technology in it Uh, i i kind of feel like we're, we're going to see a almost a balkanization of technology between the u.s and china and so that's going to be an interesting thing for these companies in China that are making smartphones, selling them to into our markets, because we don't know if they're even going to be allowed to continue to do this. There's like the the future is really really not set in stone at the moment. There there could be a lot of things that go either way, and also most of the companies that actually are U.S. tech companies are making their stuff in China anyway. So like yeah, although it, there, there, a, have, there has been over the last you know year in particular. A move for manufacturing into you know a real diversification of where the manufacturing happens, but and trying to avoid Chinese sanctions if if they do, well, well sanctions on Chinese exports uh, yeah, for the yeah. US companies. Yeah, I think I think it's a it is a really interesting time, and yeah, really hard to know how it will how it will actually play out. Uh, but I think certainly the the uh, Chinese companies mm. are are going to change the landscape and look if they get you know banned uh you know if more more chinese companies were to get banned from uh, u.s products uh, i mean i think all that's going to do is actually drive chinese innovation harder and you can imagine uh yeah huawei will be will be making every effort to say all right well what what can't you get uh and yeah. there's the Mate 30 out there now. You can buy that in New Zealand through, I think, you know, one retail um, uh, channel. But yeah, at the moment, I think everyone's saying, look, this this product is, is not really of much interest mm. to most people because you can't run the normal apps that you would want to uh, run without... A, a, without a, a bit of work. Yeah, a bit of work. And so that's probably not going to be a mainstream, uh, you know, product this year. But you can imagine a few years out... Mm. Uh, under under pressure and just looking at the size of the the chinese market and the fact that well a whole lot of stuff works just fine here mm. uh without google play services we've um, had we've had some fun <laughs> making our way around we're, we we found that the uh location services on uh, android devices is around about a block and a half out so where you think you are is probably off yeah it's 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 not been great we, we had a so we had a walk back to the hotel after the Inno Day event the other day that suddenly took a detour because one, the the geocoding of the hotel's address placed it about three kilometers off where it actually is. And uh, then two, one, Dan, so Dan and I were trying to navigate our way back to the hotel. We almost went to the wrong location and found out from the other journos on the trip that it was the wrong location. But then we couldn't get the right location. 
And so what we ended up doing is we looked at a photograph that I had taken when I checked in. We matched up buildings on the skyline and managed to navigate back there because even the geotag on the photo was incorrect. This is like the modern. This is like the modern day version of using the stars to navigate. Yeah, yeah, indeed, it, it is. I mean, the, the building, the building lights are basically the stars on your skyline, right? So yeah, no, we we had an adventure. In a thousand and, years, we're going to be the urbanized cowboys. Yes, the cavemen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we we had an adventure and like. We were getting a little bit concerned because the sun was going down and we didn't really want to navigate Shenzhen in an unknown area by... Those buildings all yeah. look alike. <laughs> they all look yeah. alike in the dark. Yeah. But fortunately, we spotted a, a building on the skyline that I'd taken a photo of in the dark and we recognised the logo on it that had lit up once we crossed 6pm. So we managed Brilliant. to find our way home. It's like our North Star. I yeah. think it's actually the lend lease um, or the uh, land lease uh, building, but yeah. They're, they're, now, looking at the skyline here, it's about two years since I was here uh, last time. It's about five for me. And, I mean, there was a lot of activity then. It just it just seems to, I mean, new buildings keep keep going up. Um, it's, a, I mean, a really incredible, incredible city. There, there's certainly sort of that, that mix between, um, you know, these incredibly gorgeous new buildings mm. and, and I guess the the you know poorer aspects that you know most of us that have traveled around asia have, have mm. seen it's kind um, of the, it's kind of the, the the facade is the the shiny the shiny glossy part and then there's usually a door or something like i know where you're going because you're going to the oppo store with this but like um there's a door that you step through and suddenly you're out of you're out of super super glossy tourist land and you're into local land yeah yeah mm. that's, that, that's once true. you pull back that curtain you can certainly yeah. see behind it and there's a lot of dirt and people and building the, the shiny new yeah. yeah i mean certainly the 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 i think the you know the economy i could say keeps lifting it it's the you know there have been struggles it's not it's not on the sort of you know uh meteoric rise it sort of once was at, at the moment um but still things seem to be going going strongly and look i mean it is a fascinating place to to visit and it gives you a little bit of an insight into the future i you know i think just getting getting a little bit of a, a taste of what's going on here how the local brands are so strong uh, and so dominant as as well and when you've got mm. a population that's what i don't know over three times i think it's 12 and a half yeah. million just yeah, in the sh- check, this, in shenzhen yeah half yeah. the population of australia is in this city yeah, yeah. Or, or you know yeah at least yeah more than twice the population in new zealand and the whole population of China being what about three times or so the U.S. population. Mm, absolutely. Um, so it's an economy yeah, of scale that we're incredible. not really used to, mm. Mm. And, and like we're so Australia is used to getting sort of second bite at the cherry, right? Technology launches in the U.S. and then it launches in Australia, and like we, we don't really know why. Like we're actually a really small market. It's almost like we're a test market. Uh, we're we're the second test market where things go. Um, so. Uh, Google just announced this morning that the new assistant is finally rolling out in Australia on the Pixel 4 phones. There's no reason it didn't roll out at launch, except they, you know, that's just how they wanted to roll it out. And, but and they're not launching the Pixel phones at all in New Zealand. I was going to say, oh, Jason, really? you've just so, triggered the, so, all the, the yeah. New Zealand oh, audience sorry. who have no access to Pixel it's phones. A, we've had this discussion on the podcast a, recently. So. I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, dear listener, it's okay. Uh, there's no such thing as battery life in Pixel land, so you're not missing that much. <laughs> Um, now, one of the things that we did, you mentioned it earlier, uh, factory tour. Now, I find this sort of thing fascinating because mm. in New Zealand and Australia, 
there's not really a whole lot of production that 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 goes on and so you know walking through a factory well yeah certainly not smartphone you know factory so i think think we have a clark rubber factory in sydney somewhere yeah and i mean my my visual in my mind is is of car manufacturers so walking into a smartphone manufacturing plant was quite a a different take and it was yeah a lot lot newer um and yeah so i think you know fascinating to see Mm. what was was i guess curious for me was the last factory i went through was a huawei factory now they outsource uh most of their phone production uh, but they did have some of their own factories, mm. and the particular one we were in, it seemed to be uh, geared towards a demonstration of technology prowess from a production standpoint. So there were there were yeah maybe a dozen people uh, yeah certainly under twenty people mm. in total on on the production line, and that you know they'd lent very heavily on uh, robotics to you know to to put the phones together now what we saw here was was uh, I guess two yeah, two sections of a production mm. line process there were certainly more people so it seemed to me this was probably more the reality of what's normal day to day in terms of a, a production line rather than it being uh, you know the the, the tech demo the tech demonstration uh, and it was it was quite fascinating. There was certainly I mean huge amount of robotics. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of automation, but there were things like it seemed yeah, like they were a lot of the precision work was left to the robots, mm. and then QC like quality control, and before moving on to the human element to do a lot of the checking and some of the fiddly bits that you probably can't get a robot to do. Just That's what they yet. said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, they, they but said some were, of the things yeah. humans were doing. They just they they couldn't automate that stuff. Yeah. 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 But there was some interesting, which you know, I would have thought you could do in software. You know, phone phone come, you know, comes off the conveyor belt. Somebody picks it up, literally you know, turns it on, turns it on, presses, uh, or maybe it was already on current, but maybe it was, yeah. yeah. And then presses a few options, changed a couple of settings, and then passes it to the next person. You know, that that did something else. And then there was certainly a section where there was a whole lot of. Uh, calibration, automated testing mm. of cameras and other bits and pieces. It was it was actually really fascinating. Yeah. Sort of seeing you know the, these cameras sort of uh, or phones sort of spun around, pointed at a, mm. um, what looked a little bit like a, an eye test chart. You know the yeah the, the dot map partition with you know dots and there were you know a number of variations. That audio testing, right. you know all the, all these varying you know GPS tests and, and bits and pieces that they would uh, that actually do on the production line, which I thought was pretty cool i don't remember having seen uh seen that yeah previously no but, but we did, did certainly see the part yeah. where they tested the cameras which is where you get the the stories of people finding some dodgy photo on their phone when they buy it on a brand yeah, new headset that's right. they, would, they would hold it yeah. up, they would check the ford and the rear and the camera, rear cameras and see the person's face coming up yeah uh, on the screen and i guess if they accidentally bump the you don't hit the delete that, button they decided to do so then uh <laughs> Then yeah, you can see how someone ends up with a unique souvenir left behind, uh, and yeah, and a, I guess yeah, at, at some point we've we've seen some variations on that. So, so I, I have seen some of those tests being done before. So um, I've been through the Oppo Surface Mount facility, which was the first place we went to yesterday. I've been through there twice, but I didn't get to go to the I think they called it the the finishing or the assembly area the first time around. So that's the first time I've been there for Oppo. 
but I've also been through HCC's factory in Taiwan, and so I've seen a lot of those tests being being performed. Um, I think for for chips and for you know straight up, is this working or not? It's okay to automate that stuff, but um, there's definitely some things that need to be need to be done by humans. What I thought was interesting uh, from a QA uh, a QA perspective is that. Um, HTC, when I was there, they were assembling the U11, and they were actually sampling products from fully assembled finished units to do uh, quality control checks on, whereas uh, Oppo was actually removing items from from the assembly line just before they go into the, the finished packages wow. and sending them away for, for QA testing. And so some of the things that they put those phones through in the QA process were pretty astonishing as well. They said that they do a million... Uh, a million plugs in and out, or taps taps on the screen, or up down um, yeah, volume buttons, fingerprints, yeah. 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 and like yeah, you like you do need to test this stuff, and you need to be confident that your manufacturing is actually producing um, equipment that works. And so like yeah, I think I think it's okay to I think it's okay to you know have it's a technical test of like when I connect this up and I pass current through here, does the does the, the the output that I get when I connect this up to current actually equal the what I expect it to equal? Yeah. Uh, and that's a that's something that a machine can do, but you really do still need a human to look at it and just go, hey, is like is this is this correct? Does this look right? Does the photo uh, does the photo look right? Is has this actually done the right thing? Uh, like the, there's 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 multiple levels of QA and uh, quality control that you can do on these things. So I'm, I'm I always find it fascinating looking at the things that they do and some of the machines that they've rigged up to automate stuff. Like I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but like I cringed when I walked into the lab yesterday and saw a machine picking up and simultaneously dropping six fully assembled phones yeah. from about like 20 or 30 centimeters yeah. up off the desk and then it picks them up and it drops them again and it picks them up and it drops them again and then at some point someone looks at it and just goes yeah yeah they're all right or they're not yeah um yeah that that stuff is fascinating and it it always triggers my thought of when will when will we see as we have to a small degree in the u.s see manufacturing move back out to i'll call it the edges since we've been talking about 5g networks mm, yeah. uh, uh recently edge compute having having uh having computing power at the edge of the network um uh you know will will we see manufacturing move to um not quite the last mile is another sort of you know technical thing we talk about but you know having having a lot of you know assembly and manufacturing mm. can be done entirely by machines you know Will we see some of this happen more in country? And I think it's uh, India where they've put in place yeah. um, rules around. Um, you know, I, I think. I it's think Brazil to, also to has um, some sort yeah. of some sort of th- yeah. th- something in the same vein. So yeah, basically, manufacturers are very heavily compelled to be manufacturing yeah. in mm. country. If they want the market access, they've got to supply a little bit of take and give and take. So yeah, yeah. So, so a- Apple's moved a lot of uh, the lower end iPhone manufacturing to India as well. So they've said that they can actually, uh, I think, what are, what are the Apple products at the moment? It's the XS and the XR. Oh, no, the, no, the 11, it, 11 and 11 Pro. Right. Um, but they've said that they can actually supply the, the global demand for one of their phones from their Indian manufacturing, but they couldn't do they couldn't do all of their phones out of that facility. So they still need Foxconn 
wherever Foxconn's manufacturing, because Foxconn's manufacturing in a few places now. They've opened yeah. a plant in the US as well. But whether or not they're actually... Manu- so, whether like, there's anything actually being coming no, out of that plant no, in the no, next five and years. And is- the new <laughs> Pro, which is just... Uh, Ask Trump. ...launched. But, uh, that, that's happening out of the US, isn't but it? But mm, I, I, <laughs> I do think that it's important that there's a distinction between the... Uh, there's a distinction between the assembly and the actual manufacturer of the circuit boards. And so like they might continue to do surface mount in a Chinese facility or an Indian facility, but then they'll send the parts over to the US so that they can say that they've actually employed people in the US to make the phones. Or employed a robot. Mm. Uh, Well, maybe they have, yes. (laughs) Um, But so like I, I think Apple for a really long time had labeling on their products that said designed in California, assembled in China. And that just sort of goes to the distinction between where things get designed and manufactured. And then you break down the manufacturer a little bit more and you get, oh, you know, we've we've uh, built a bunch of uh, built a bunch of components somewhere and then we've shipped them somewhere else to be assembled and mm-hmm. uh, like it's a leg- it's a legitimate way to do it it might sound slightly deceptive but sometimes you know. it's all about the the optics yeah absolutely and that's yeah definitely yeah. yeah well there was once a, and I'm, I'm not sure how it was in australia but there was once a situation with uh, televisions in new zealand where the the way that the um, regulatory regimes uh, were meant basically uh televisions being manufactured in maybe it was japan or yeah probably japan um would get broken down they'd be manufactured and then they'd get mm-hmm. disassembled sent to new zealand so they could get reassembled in, in new zealand to tick the right boxes that it was a you know this was a new zealand made my uh, faith in humanity uh, drops uh, every day <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we're past we're past those uh, the, well, you would like to think we're sort of past those days, but you know who knows mm. what things will look like ahead. Now we're running a little bit out of time, so a couple of other um, things that I've wanted to talk about this week: five G launched in um, New Zealand, sort of sort of properly uh, this week with uh, Vodafone. There was a sort of a, a fixed wireless broadband uh, launch from uh, Spark last week but um, Vodafone New Zealand launched 5G across Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch and Queenstown. Uh, obviously it's not everywhere in those those locations yet but you know. That single got, tower in each city is very popular <laughs> with any 5G handset owners. There's, there's, there's a, a bunch of people sitting around that, it. Fortunately there's you know there's do- dozens of, um, of of towers on online I, I believe um, and by by the end of the month I think um, yeah there'd be quite yeah. significant sort of you know coverage and then you know that will continue out over you know over quite a period of time um how does the 5g landscape look in australia at the moment we're obviously in a position where there are very few 5g uh, handsets on the market mm. and even for fixed um wireless broadband you know trying to get internet in your home through a a, a 5g connection is you know, it's probably not going to be terribly mainstream um just yet the part and partly because the the routers or the devices are uh are still quite highly priced. still coming in yeah so yeah. it's still the premium sort of end of the market but we've got optus and telstra both doing it ironically vodafone actually isn't doing 5g in australia as yet uh, yeah. but they're they're sort of what we're seeing is about six months behind um you guys are six months behind where we are, so you see the roadmap really ramp up once they've what, done what that. What do you mean, Australia? Hey, only in this, only in this with. instance. I'm, I'm not trying to start any riffs. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know how time zones work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they're, they're, the the roadmap, like the rollout of, of 5G, is just going to ramp up. So yeah. the the 
more cities will come online and stuff like that. So. And there was, there was an interesting comment this week um, from Oppo around 5G handsets, wasn't there? In, mm. in terms so seventy percent of the Telstra handsets uh, were Oppo 5G enabled handsets sold through Telstra were from Oppo, which was quite a good statistic, um, especially for Oppo. All uh, all seven out of the ten. And you're and- a hard man. <laughs> And we also heard that by, was it mid-next year, mm. that um, a, you know, basically a pretty high percentage of the, the handsets over, I'm trying to remember the price, but was it 500 US? Yeah, I think so. 3,001. Yeah. 3, so Oppo announced that any handset that's priced above 3,001, which um, for Australian dollars, I know Australia, I don't know New Zealand, but that's about 600 Australian dollars, about five to one. Um, any yeah, handset think, priced mm. above that will have 5G. Yeah, so we're sort of talking yeah, yeah. similar to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. mid to super mid range, yeah. six fifty type price point. That yeah, five G will just will become the norm. Obviously, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we expect to see at this point. Different manufacturers, mm. yeah. You know, Apple, we expect to come in sort of yeah you know, later on in the year with a with a five G play. Um, but yeah, it looks like looks like it's it's ramp, ramp, ramping up. That's was, that's for sure. What was the thing I noticed on the Vodafone New Zealand website was that uh, their five G is free until the end of June, end of June, twenty twenty. Uh, when will the 5G iPhone launch? It will be after that. September usually <laughs> yeah. is the well, announcement. Yeah. October so, yeah, for so launch, yeah. So. By that time, Apple will be collecting a cut of that 5G uh, access fee, right? Surely. Well, You're a cynical man too. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the impression I got is that they will ultimately try and, you know, they'll meld their sort of plans mm. to, together. So just like we have with 4G today, you don't yeah, pay I mean, premium, but there was a they little They've got to recoup the cost of the there rollout. Was a so, at the yeah. beginning of 4G where you hmm. did pay a premium to get 4G access on some networks. I yeah. hate it, but yeah, um, thanks. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. Now, the other device in the last um, few days that hit uh, New Zealand and I think similar timing in Australia was uh, Samsung's Galaxy Fold. Mm. Uh, it's landed about 3,000 Australian and New Zealand, 3,400 including um, tax what are your thoughts? We've all had a had a little bit of uh, time with it. I got some time with it uh, last week before I, I left New Zealand, and I I guess I'd been very cynical around the idea of the folding phone. Yeah. I gotta say, it just mm. seemed it seemed like an absolute gimmick. Um, I don't know, and and I guess the fact that that Samsung had had some issues with their first launch mm. of it, and and that sort of fell very flat with uh, media because. People were ripping the screen cover off, mm. and actually, it wasn't a screen cover to remove. And then there was dust getting inside it, and so on. Um, so I was looking at it probably from a, a reasonably sort of low level. Of, this is a mm. niche product, just to tick the box that hey, Samsung. Are, yeah, I mean, are, first are gen first, product, obviously. Right? So that's. Um, yeah. But I, to me, once I actually um, you know, opened it up, now you've got a when it's closed, you've got a smaller screen on the front. And so I handed the, it, the, I, the front the front screen is unconscionable. Like you can't use it. It's well, tall and it's thin. I don't like it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing very I mean, basics. I, I, yeah, I, I can't remember whether I actually did any calls. 
I, I find well, technically it, I, he can use it, it as a phone. It's just yeah, I think, I think not you, terribly comfortable. Yeah, you can. But yeah. once you open it up, and again, this was the bit I was thinking, oh, this is going to be stupid. It's a weird form factor. Turns it's, out. It's almost square, but. I mean, turns out when you open it up, that's when the magic happens. Quite, it's quite mm. nice, isn't it? It's I mean, pretty it's solid. It's great. You know, I like for it. For watching videos, yes, it's not, it's not the. It's not in the correct aspect factor. ratio. It's, it's um, things like that. But for reading and just yeah. consuming content. Someone made the, the point when we were looking at it that it's a about the same size as a Kindle, so that's which is a really comfortable form factor when you're sitting there reading. So yeah, yeah, it could certainly do that. Yeah. But whether you're willing to spend thirty four hundred New Zealand dollars on a ebook well, reader, well, some some people will, I suppose. That's the yeah, uh, ab- um, ab- absolutely nobody yeah. should, but some people will. <laughs> so I I I I kept quiet because I like I wanted to I wanted to let you guys talk about it, but like <laughs> I like it, I think it's great, like like. I would not buy it. It is $3,000. I don't have $3,000 to drop on a phone. But like Dan said, some people will. Some people do. They've sold out the phones in Mm. multiple shipments as they've shipped them into various countries around the world. We don't know if they shipped five or 10 or 50 or 1,000 into each of those territories. They won't tell us. But anecdotally, people who've seen it are like, oh, that's really good. Mm. How much is that? And that's when they're like, yeah, no. But my my housemate, who is an iPhone user, looked at it and just went, "I'd buy that. I'd buy it if it was a thousand dollars cheaper. Put it in put it in the two thousand dollar price range, and which is probably where the next generation of them will end up. And suddenly, you've got a phone that is going to entice iPhone users over from iOS land. That's exactly what Samsung wants to do. Samsung has a history of doing this. Like the the Galaxy S6, when they started introducing the edge displays and the curved edges, they brought iPhone users over into the Android ecosystem. Even things like the Galaxy Note, the Absolutely. original Galaxy Note was wild at the time, this massive phone and yeah. it became so they've, a real... They've, yeah, yes. they've worked harder. And yeah. I mean, going back to back to Oppo, they've they've targeted their um, you know products also to a, a degree to, a, to attract... Uh, mm. Yeah, the iPhone users with their their color. Oh, yeah, the color is, yeah. You know, I've never been a big fan of these. You know, varying overlays to make Android. Agreed. Uh, each Android sort of unique by manufacturer. Um, but it's it's fair to say it it it, it was the sort of skin that made mm. it feel a, a, maybe a little bit more uh, at home for uh, iOS iPhone. Users, so, yeah, I, I, th- I think the iPhone's an aspirational de- device in China, and so if if you can pitch to people that they can get a device that's pretty much like an iPhone and it's a lot cheaper, you're going to make a lot of money off the sales. And look at what Oppo's done. Mm. I think mm. I think it's fine. Oppo seems to be well aware that uh, Color OS is not always to Australian tastes. Yeah, they they went way too far on one of the releases, and like we absolutely savaged it in the review. And then the next release, they sort of walked it back. Yeah, um, yeah. But they, they sort of seem to they seem to flip flop around releases of versions of Color OS and particular features that are in it. Um, like I've I've and seen functionality. Yeah, <laughs> which is sometimes yeah. break yeah. when you uh, play around with the Android sort of style of things. Uh, well, I've, so I've seen them emulate the iOS quick settings panel, and I think that's a step too far. But then they they walked that back but then I did see that reappear in one of the more recent phones as well so it's almost like there's dueling teams releasing ColorOS features um, worrying for me is the fact that Oppo seems to think that the way that they can satisfy people who want a stock Android experience is by skinning ColorOS when it's already a skin that runs over Android <laughs> but 
like even, even then, like, you know, I, I'd be happier with that if it provides a relatively stock Android experience. Mm-hmm. I, I do historically not really like ColorOS, but sometimes I'll put up with it for the hardware that's on offer. Mm-hmm. Now, just lastly, before we finish up, China. Mm-hmm. The Great Firewall of China. Every, everybody uh, has heard of it. Now... This week has been a, a, a chance, um, and I also spent some time in Singapore before uh, coming here at Microsoft's Experience Center, and I'll maybe um, talk a little bit of that, that, that in another episode. The, the main thing that jumped out of me there was their facial recognition option that, they, mm. that Microsoft are now uh, starting to uh, roll out. So if you forget your swipe card or you don't want to carry a swipe card, that people have that option. There's a whole lot of privacy uh, things around that, but I quite like the approach that they've taken. Um, but here, in uh, in China, very different to being in Singapore, anywhere else in Asia, because mm. of the the Great Firewall of China, um, and also payment methods. Oh. So oh no, you really Visa and Mastercard do not exist here. Uh, so you've you've got it's to use. Uh, yeah, well, the the common thing here is. Um, um, Alipay, WePay, which is WeChat, WePay, yeah, yeah. QR um, codes and, and stuff. And yeah. I wasn't really uh, geared up for that. And when I tried to use um, WePay, wouldn't work with. Yeah, my, doesn't, don't with think my it actually worked. I don't think um, WeChat offers anything that's come through like the Google Play Store or something like that, or mm. through the iTunes, um, an option to add the payment method. I think it's restricted to mainland China users. Yeah, I've so had that. Little, yeah, I've had that. Yeah, and I'm sure when I was here last time, there was a lot more sort of credit card. I, I, I totally agree. There with was. You. Yeah, there was. It seems Absolutely. as though it's just like they've already, they've just moved past that, and yeah. so. You've got to be a little bit prepared if you're coming here. Um, yeah, fortunately, our schedules are such and you know, meals and most things have sort of you know, laid on, so it hasn't been a big deal. But even in the hotel, I wanted to get some shirts laundered and uh, the concierge was basically asking for cash. And you know, I didn't have any cash in my, in mm. my pocket at the time, which is how I commonly travel. Uh, and then he was asking for WePay. So very, like very quickly, I, I, it's, not just, it's not just here but it's also in Hong Kong as well. I've been really surprised. Like there's a lot of stuff around here that's still very cash-based and Hong Kong is also still very cash-based. I'm really surprised because I've, I've gone to Singapore a lot. I haven't been to Hong Kong in a few years, but in I know that in Singapore and in Sydney and in London, three of the places that I go to a lot, I can just tap and pay my credit card on, yeah. the, on the public transport system. I don't need to even have a stored value card. Hong Kong, which is the same system, it's run by the same people. Uh, you still have to purchase an octopus card. You can't purchase the octopus card using a credit card. You have to use it. You have to pay cash for it. Uh, you can't pay with a credit card in taxis. And like, I, I, I was not prepared for just how cash-based Hong Kong is still going to be. And I think that's that's and the Uber Chinese is also influence. gone across mm. uh, across Asia. Oh no, Uber, Uber's in Hong Kong. Oh, they're in yeah. Hong Kong, eh? and we yeah no we've been getting Ubers. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah no, Well, certainly yeah. Singapore. Well, we've been using uh, Uber here. gone. Yeah. Uber mm. has gone from uh, Philippines. Uh, Uber's gone from China. Mm. So you know the deal mm. they did with um, Didi had sort of you know uh, yeah. squashed yeah. squashed all of that. So yeah, a few a few interesting aspects. Um, roaming seems to be the way basically to use your phone if you can here. keep your so, home sim and pay the roaming because you'll skirt 
the Great Wall of China, yeah, so basically. basically yeah. Like, if you're on Wi-Fi, then there's just so many things you can't yeah. access. I can't run Disney Plus on Wi-Fi, but I can when I turn it off. Yeah. We have Disney Plus in Australia. Sorry. And then yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, you do. But, yeah, um, I tried to look something up on Geekzone earlier, and that Blocked. was. You know, block. Now yeah. that might that might not have been to do with the Great Firewall. You know, I'm not sure which that, that that could have been on the other side. But just yeah, things things to be aware of with with uh, you know coming to China, uh, even yeah. actually a Hong Kong SIM card um, is, actually, it, yeah. is actually quite a good technique because a, you know, a lot re- of companies here use Hong Kong to skirt the firewall. Like uh, I don't know, I don't know if I should say it, but um, I'll say a, a prominent company that we've been speaking <laughs> about a little bit in their old office. They used to run a cable under the harbour over to Hong Kong to get internet. Like, uh, like that is a, a cat it's, five. It's, <laughs> no, it's it's a done thing. It's what they do. Yeah. Like, if you've got enough money to do it, you can get onto the Hong Kong internet. Wow, good good trick there. So um, the rest yeah. of us just roam. Yeah. All right, well, that's us for this episode. Uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening in. Um, Thank you for tolerating our accents. <laughs> we apologise most deeply. <laughs> now, just a reminder uh, for listeners where they can find your content online. Uh, you can find well, so you can find me personally on Twitter at jm77, and you can find my writing at osdroid.net. That's a u s droid.net. Thanks, Jason and Dan. And I'm Frog Hollow, pretty much on all social media, uh, PH for the frog. And you can find me at EFTM.com for all my tech writing. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks for, for having listening us. In, and we'll be back again next week. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.